0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docu series Black Twitter: A People's History, from memes to movements. See how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter: A People's History is now streaming on Hulu. Peace, y'all. Before we get to the end of this season of School Colors, we need to take a bit of a detour. Most of this season has been about diversity in District Twenty Eight. We've talked about how the District 28 diversity planning process was stopped by COVID-19. But we haven't really talked about the pandemic itself, or how it affected education. In this bonus episode, we look at the pandemic through the eyes of one
1: elementary school principal. Good morning, is this Principal Mitchell? It is. Hi, this is Max Friedman from School Colors. Hi, how are you? Uh, I am doing all right. How are you?
2: Good. i uh- Overwhelmed.
1: <laughs> you first met Pat Mitchell in Episode 6. She was a member of the District 28 Diversity Working Group and the longtime principal of PS48. The first time I talked to Ms. Mitchell was on the phone. First, I actually would just love it if you would just tell me about your school.
2: Oh, okay, so yes. So our school is an amazing place to work. We're in the heart of South Jamaica and Queens, New
0: York. Although this has been a historically African-American area, Many of the new families are immigrants, and PS48 is increasingly multilingual. Her scholars speak Urdu, Bengali, Hindu, Mandinka, Spanish, Haitian Creole, and more.
2: The scholars that come into our building are, for the most part, undisturbed and come from a myriad of backgrounds that include poverty at the very, very top of the list, but uh, then all of the risk factors that poverty brings with it. So, chronic absenteeism children who are undernourished or malnourished, children who uh, have parents who are incarcerated, parents who have substance abuse problems, and the list goes on. But what we're seeing now is a growing number of families that are uh, in transient housing or three and four families living together because the rents are extremely high for those families who are not in public housing you best believe that they're not in public housing, they are paying astronomical amounts of rent. In South Jamaica, we really try to get people to buy in to um, meeting everybody where they need to be. And so it's important that we know our scholars on a first name basis. And I mean, all 487 of them, that's important. And their families too. And I think you get that sense when you walk into the building that it's it's a second home to our scholars.
0: But while school is so often a place of stability for kids and their families, COVID rocked all of that.
3: Breaking news, Mayor de Blasio announces he is shutting down New York City's school system, all in an effort to stop the spread of coronavirus.
0: From the very day that schools were told to close their doors, Pat says she knew her families were in trouble.
2: I know for a fact that... PS48 is the place where my scholars are able to, they know they're going to get fed, they know they're going to be cared for, and they're going to get some amazing instruction. I knew that once they went home, that there would be a break in that instruction immediately. And let me tell you why. There are families in South Jamaica who don't have laptops. There are families in South Jamaica who don't have iPads at the ready um, to facilitate uh, a Google Meet. There are families in South Jamaica who don't have smartphones with data plans that support the platforms that we insisted parents use. So when I tell you I was doing drive-bys, giving out laptops, going to homes, this is what I did in March. It was a struggle because I was not just teaching scholars. We were teaching families how to make this work. Trying to get them to understand the icons on an iPad when they were finally uh, sent iPads from the DOE. Just showing them what this is what your Wi-Fi icon looks like. This is how you, your child shows a presentation or shares your screen. Um, it was difficult to do that virtually. The other thing was that I think the DOE early on assumed that if they sent out devices, that those devices uh, would be paired with people's Wi-Fi. There are lots of families that don't have it, so then they began to send out Wi-Fi enabled devices to families because they realized that you know that it was a, it was almost like an implicit bias working that everyone has a Wi-Fi plan. We don't. I mean, I do, you do, but there are families that don't have that luxury. And so when we talk about equity, um, this fell apart because the disparities just became that much more prominent and evident and obvious during the pandemic.
0: As the virus spread, access to technology and even education itself took a backseat to the very real risk of illness and death. That risk was highest in Black and brown neighborhoods like South Jamaica.
2: This community has been disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and will continue to be. The virus was weird in a way, in the way that it impacted families. So in the families that it did impact, there were usually at least two or more people who were impacted. So either families were devastated by this virus or in some cases, not at all, thank God, and then there were, you know, obviously uh, cases where there were one or two people in the family who uh, were affected. And when I say affected, I mean that it, it resulted in their deaths. Um, and so we we have staff members who've had two or more people in their family um, pass away from COVID-19. And I don't have the, the numbers of families that were impacted by COVID. Um, at some point, Max, I, I lost count. So I went to Dollar Tree and we bought, uh cards. And, and I, there were so many families affected. I, I could not send out cards to every family. So it, it, I, I would say by mid-May, I probably had sent out cards to 40 or, or more families.
1: Around the same time, Pat was going through loss of her own. On May 2nd, 2020, her mother died of complications from lung cancer.
2: She didn't die of COVID-19 related, um, she didn't have a COVID-19 related illness, um, but we still had to take you know precautions to make sure that she was okay while she lived here with me. Um, and, and I set up hospice in my home for my mom. So at the same time that I'm trying to, like you said, balance um, the demands of a, of a job that I love, I was also caring for, for a mother who made it all happen for me, who, who made it possible for me to be, like, an amazing, like, workaholic. You know, I carry her with me in everything I do. And when I talk to families who have experienced loss, uh, unfortunately, I know exactly how they're feeling.
0: The end of that first COVID semester may have brought some semblance of relief. But educators like Pat spent the summer awaiting guidance, on the specifics of how and even when schools would reopen in the fall. The nation's largest school district is pushing back its start date.
3: In a surprise announcement today, Mayor de Blasio moved the first day of New York City schools from September 10th to September 16th for remote learning and September 21st for in-school classes.
1: I called Pat for the first time the day after the first day of in-person school. We talked for almost an hour and a half, and it was only the first conversation of many— Over the course of that school year, the first full year of school during the pandemic, I checked in with her every few weeks. As the system went through ups and downs, schools opened and closed and opened again, and the guidance kept on changing. What you're about to hear is from those phone calls.
0: September 22nd, 2020.
2: We were not ready to open. What became uh, a nightmare, and is still to this day, is the option that the DOE gave to parents About how they wanted their children to learn. They gave them options to engage in blended learning.
0: And blended learning simply means at some points in the week, you're learning in person in the classroom. At other points in the week, you're learning remotely. And we all know remote learning is not perfect, but we've also seen a
2: lot of kids benefit greatly from it during these last months. There were two things that were not taken into consideration one, that we would have the capacity.
1: Actually, Pat went on to lay out many more than just two problems with blended learning. She says there were parents who chose blended who didn't really know what they were getting themselves into as far as needing childcare for a schedule that would be different week to week. There were parents who didn't even know they had a choice, who got placed in full remote by default. Then there was an agreement between the DOE and the teachers union, the UFT, that all but guaranteed PS48 would be short-staffed.
2: The UFT made it very clear that if you are an in-house teacher, you cannot be responsible for the remote learning also. So they have to essentially pick one, not because they want to, but because they've been directed to do that by the DOE and the U.S.T. They have this agreement. It's stupid, right? Doesn't it makes no sense?
1: And she says the DOE neither consulted principals when they came up with all this, nor let them know when things were changing.
2: They had to know this wasn't going to work. How do I know? As late as last week, I get the news from TV, from watching TVs. I'm listening to the mayor say that children whose families sign them up for blended learning are no longer guaranteed a teacher on the days that they're not in school. Every scholar should have access to a teacher each day that's gonna provide synchronous instruction. And at this, at this point, there are some scholars who are getting. Two or fewer hours of synchronous instruction each day. That that cannot happen. I mean, you, you want to see growing disparities? Yeah. Put this plan into place. That's the plan we have. And I'm not happy with it.
0: September 29th, 2020.
2: If we had all been remote, we could have guaranteed at least some consistency, some coherence with our parents with regard to curriculum. I can't guarantee that now, it's it's crazy. I don't know why parents were given the option to choose a plan that we could not bring to fruition and that is what's so frustrating. It it was was just, it it was a lie to tell parents that a blended learning model exists, it does not. We don't have the staff to accommodate that. The relational trust that we built with our parents is important. It, it means something. It takes years, years to accomplish that. And so when we have to tell them that their children will be operating or engage in a, a, a model of learning that we know is not going to work. It does something to you, Max. I can't even, I, and I can't speak for every principal, but if you're a principal whose heart is in this, yeah, it bothers you. You go to sleep with it. You wake up with it. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you so
1: much. Of course, anytime.
2: You can send me a bill, okay? <laughs>
3: <laughs> this message comes from NPR sponsor, Squarespace. Climate change fuels hurricanes. China promises to stop. The big lie persists. Butterflies have hearts. Singers die. Plumbers win. Nurses persevere. Your world speaks. We listen. NPR podcasts. More voices, all ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Simply put, an afternoon of chaos and confusion for public school parents, teachers, and students, some now scrambling for commuters and child care.
3: New York City public school's will be closed tomorrow, remote only, as the average weekly positivity rate in the five boroughs hit 3%. The mayor and school chancellor making the announcement late this afternoon after Governor Cuomo insinuated that schools will be open.
0: All this confusion came because the city and state use very different data to calculate positivity rates. November 18th, 2020.
2: We, you know, keep a, an eye on the infection rate. And um, so we we had a feeling this was going to come to fruition. And unfortunately, we were right. Um, And so this sends lots of families into frenzy, and I understand, and understandably so, because we still have scholars who don't have devices. So when we say we're going fully remote, for some families, that means that these children are not going to be uh, provided with instruction remotely. So while... Safety is always, you know, at the forefront of what we do. I can't help but think about the families who don't have access to technology, who don't have access to Wi-Fi, and who will suffer right until we get them the hardware and uh, access that they need.
1: After all this time, you still
2: have families who don't have devices. Absolutely, either because for some reason they didn't get the memo that they had to. Rec- Request them, and they don't know how to request them, or they've requested them, and they're still on back order. That's, that has been uh, a huge issue. If every scholar doesn't have a, a paper and pencil when they walk into my building, they're not really ready to work, right? Cops don't show up without their Glocks, right? right? Firefighters have on their power, you know? Doctors have their stethoscopes. If scholars are in the building or out of the building without an iPad or a device to learn, and they're not ready. So what are we doing here? Let's make sure, you know,
3: everyone has what they need so we can start this race. That hasn't happened. New York City's public schools will begin to reopen for in-person learning on December 7th, starting with elementary schools for students whose parents agree to a weekly testing regimen for the novel coronavirus, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced on Sunday.
0: December 10th, 2020.
2: So again, we find out that school's reopening on December 7th, you know, not in a, a respectful way. We learn from parents, <laughs> so... Uh, the the chain of communication is horrific at DOE. Uh, but aside from that, um, we also uh, got a very strong email about the fact that we are not to allow students in who didn't. parents did not consent to testing. And that has created a, a tremendous backlash um, with parents who don't want their kids tested. They don't want to consent to be tested, but we're supposed to refuse entry to those scholars.
1: For me, on the outside, it seems really logical that if the goal is to uh, keep down community spread, then you need randomized testing of kids in schools. And logistically, Mm -hmm. it makes much more sense to test them on site than to rely on whatever fragmented network of people's providers. You know, like, that makes sense to me. So why are people upset?
2: Well, I think that uh, um, in the early part of the year, the test was invasive. You know, we were doing nasal swabs. The the other thing is they feel like, um, I, I almost, uh, they don't want to know if their child is positive or not, believe it or not. I, I talked to a parent and said, you know what, if they're positive, they're positive, they're going to get over it. Really? There are people who don't want to know. They, You know, they just don't want, people who just do not prescribed to, uh, testing vaccines, any of that. I get it. Okay. All right. Well, I, and again, these are just two parents I spoke to. I, I can't say they speak for everyone clearly, but interesting, uh, insight. I, I was like floored. Like, you don't want to know you don't. Oh, okay. But there was at least
1: one bright spot for Pat. She had started the year with a staffing crunch, in part because of the DOE's agreement with the teachers' union, which said that teachers could only teach in person or remote, which meant kids in blended learning would have different teachers on different days. By December, many of Pat's teachers agreed with her that this was unsustainable.
2: On the down low, my teachers have opted in many cases to say, listen, cohort A, I'm teaching cohort A because these kids come in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for this week. And on Thursday or Friday, they're home. I still teach them, Ms. Mitchell, because it's too confusing to the parents. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. But essentially, they're not supposed to do that.
1: The city had put a lot of effort into figuring out blended learning based on the assumption that many parents would jump at the chance to send their kids to school in person, even a couple days a week. But by the end of 2020, two-thirds of students citywide were still opting for full remote. The upside was that many school buildings had more space than they expected, which allowed PS forty eight to do away with the cohorts and offer in-person socially distanced learning five days a week starting in
0: January. February nineteenth,
2: twenty twenty one. But it's it's been going well and it's really refreshing to um to have more scholars in the building. Um and they're happy to be there. It's it's a little weird because we're not at full capacity, but um, there's some sense of normalcy back in the building. Still challenging, because even though they're there, you still have to maintain social distancing with them. But that's difficult. I've been in a room with uh, 16 four-year-olds. Keeping masks on is a
1: joke. Pat had a medical accommodation, a formally recognized health reason for working remotely. But she started going into the building anyway. So... You know, there
2: are people saying you're going to forfeit your accommodation. If you're... I don't give a shit. I don't really care. I think sometimes people need to see you. People who are in the trenches. And I use that term because, you know, you have teachers who are home and teachers who come into the building consistently every day. And um, put, they are our essential workers putting themselves at risk to ensure these kids are educated. And I think for me um i I needed the accommodation okay, I was granted one, but I still think people need to see that you're a team player. People just need to see that you are you know you're around you're you're engaged you you care
0: march sixteenth twenty twenty one hey Pat,
2: how's it going huh oh, she's the day is long and arduous, but I'm heading in there.
1: How many of your kids are back in the building at this point? Um, about a hundred and thirty. Out, out of how many total? Five
2: hundred forty-seven.
1: Okay, so it's still um, about um um, but was that about twenty percent?
2: Yeah, yeah, just about that. One class on each grade. It's a lot, but again, I'm not complaining not only because you asked um it just, it, it's it's like amazing um so and i know it is overwhelming I, I know that um this work can take you under if you let it so i try not to let it take me
1: By the spring, I'd spent hours on the phone with Pat, but I'd never actually met her in person. So in May, we finally made plans to meet face-to-face
0: on a Sunday afternoon at P.S. 48. She was decked out head-to-toe in her pink-and-green, a.k.a. sorority swag. There's a big park next to the school, teeming with community life. So we asked her about it.
2: This this park is widely used. Soccer? Yeah. And I like it. I like that it's used. So we have a lot of uh, families that come, and this is like their recreation. They have teams, very organized. You know, they sell food. It, it's, really, it's really nice. So I love that about the park. Uh, and it wasn't always that way. It was once a barren field. And we like, why do we have a barren field? Why can't we do something?
0: Throughout our conversation, she kept running into current and former students on the street.
2: My twins, they don't even remember who I am. With their pants hanging off his butt. Boy, pull your pants up! Miss Mitchell, how you doing? (laughs) They're like, who is this lady
0: (laughs) yelling at us? (laughs) Oh my god. -hmm. Oh my god. How are you? I'm gonna hug you.
2: You doing? Yeah. I didn't realize it was you. How are you? Yeah. How you good. How's mom? Good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. walking around hey, the yeah. Y'all look good. I am really proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Wow. I don't even want to ask them how old they are. I feel really, really old.
0: After 29 years in the school system and 15 years at PS48, Pat had decided to retire.
2: The leadership here has to be in tune with the changing face of this community and be willing to think outside the box. And that's why I know it's time for me
0: to go. The pandemic had a lot to do with it.
2: I felt like I was out of touch with my teachers and my scholars. I don't like it. It doesn't... It's not what I'm used to, and it's not what I'm comfortable with. With, And at this age, you know, if I was 20 years younger or maybe even 10 years younger, I could kind of roll with the punches. I don't have that in me anymore. I know what I like. I know the style of leadership that I'm accustomed to, that I've grown accustomed to, and it has been effective for me. But the virtual thing? Not so much.
0: She also had more personal reasons.
2: Last year, my mom passed away, and my mom hated my job. She loved the work. She hated my job, if that makes any sense. But when she passed away, her her words kind of resonated with me, and and I just thought, "Your Mom is right. The work has to be done, but you don't have to be the one that does it. Like, spread the wealth. Like, let somebody else do it. They, They might do it better than you, Right. That was a novel thought. Like, shit, Pat, there might be somebody out here that does it better than you. Like, get over yourself. So that was a realization that I came to. The third thing, and probably the most important thing, is is that I kind of prioritized my wants and needs in life and and fell in love with a man I've known all my life. And I thought, like, I've never seen you like this before. (laughs) He thought the same of me. And he just made me an offer I couldn't refuse, Um, and and when that happens, when you lose someone you love, or someone points out to you that you know what, we got more years behind us than ahead of us. Let's change the course of our lives. It it kind of it makes you think about those things that are important. It 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 does. It changes your perspective. And so, while this work is important, my happiness is even more important. So, I'm deciding to leave because I think PS48 deserves to have someone in a leadership position that is like, this is my number one priority. It's not mine anymore. So, is my work finished? Absolutely not. But I'm not going to do the work. I'm going to let somebody else do it. But I'm looking forward to this next chapter. I don't know... What I'm going to do, I don't know. But I'm looking forward to it. You guys need an assistant? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
1: That was May 2021. I caught up with Pat again in early January 2022, It was the height of the Omicron wave, and she had just gotten COVID herself, not for the first time. But as soon as she was out of isolation, she was back at PS48. She was still officially retired, but volunteering three days a week, because 40% of the staff was absent. (laughs)
0: Cool Colors is created, reported, and written by me, Mark Winston Griffith, and Max Friedman. Produced by Max Friedman with Carly Rubin and Alana Levinson. Our editor is
1: Soraya Shockley. Our project managers are Soraya Shockley and Lindsay McKenna. Fact checking and archival research by Carly Rubin.
0: Engineering by James Willits. Original music by Avery R. Young and the Deacon Board. Additional music by Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you to Leah Donella, Steve
1: Drummond, and the entire Code Switch team. Thank you to our executive producer, Yolanda Sanguini,
0: and NPR's Senior Vice President of Programming, Anya Grunman. Season two of School Colors was made possible by NPR, the Spencer Fellowship in Education Reporting at Columbia University, and by the Brooklyn Movement Center. Until next time. Peace.
3: Support for NPR and the following message come from Bombas. Bombas makes absurdly soft socks, underwear, and t-shirts. And for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Get 20% off your first purchase at bombas.com NPR and use code NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the NPR Wine Club. Get the world of wine delivered to your door. When you join the NPR Wine Club, you'll receive the stories behind every bottle and favorite NPR shows and personalities arriving in liquid form, like Weekend Edition Cabernet and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Zinfandel. The NPR Wine Club is a delicious way to support NPR's programming. If you're 21 or older, uncork a special offer at nprwineclub.org podcast.
2: On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.